good to be in the house of the Lord with His people on His day. Oh. All right, church, let's sing together. This is where worship starts here in the temple of my heart.
First time I ever lifted my hands in worship, I was in high school. I wasn't really serving the Lord, but got kind of talked into going on a missions trip. I thought it was gonna be like the Caribbean or something. It was not. And in this corner of this church, this little small group started singing some songs on the guitar, and I walked over there. I just felt the presence of God. And just felt like God asked me to raise my hands, and I just put my hands up like this and just wept. And I never really remembered even asking the Lord to live in my life or heart, so I just did it right there on my own. No one prayed with me. It was my hands up for the first time. I just asked Jesus to rule and reign in my life. So it was worship that brought me salvation, you know? And I've been worshiping ever since, you know? Haven't stopped. So it's just a big deal when we do this, you know? And I know some of us are doing it out of, out of victory, you know, out of triumph, out of celebration. Some of us are doing it out of desperation, out of being in the lowest valley and just raising our hands up to say, God, where else can we go but you? We're saying, Papa, pick us up. But whatever it is, the highest mountain or the lowest valley, it's all surrender and it's all so beautiful to him to see a human expression of a spiritual reality, to say, you could have all of it. I surrender everything. All, A-L-L, all, I surrender all of it. So we do it again, Jesus. Give us the faith, Lord, to agree with the psalmist when he says that surely goodness and mercy will follow me every single day of my life. Give us that trust, Lord. We believe you're the good shepherd. There's no one like you. It's not possible, not possible. We sing this together, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, and he is everything I need. So I will not worry, and I will not fear the enemy. He said that he loves me, he said that he's with me, even though I walk through the valley of shadow and death. And still I know He has good plans He has good plans for me So I will take part in deserts and parties He has good plans He has good plans for me If I, if I know my Father, I know my Father Second verse, the Lord is my Savior. The Lord is my Savior, so I 
goodness and mercy follow us and we will fear no evil no fear in jesus name for the good shepherd holds our hand come on let's sing psalm 23 77, I will remember the miracles of old. I bring them to mind, God. All the good plans you've had for us, all the good plans you still have for us. Let this mercy and goodness chase us down. And we can never outrun you, God. You're so good. God,
Come on, that's the sound of heaven. Heaven and earth as one. Declaring the goodness. Man, it is always a good day to be praising God and to be praising God together. Amen? Amen. You are surrounded by the goodness of God today. Don't think of the goodness of God as something out there. It's, it is out there, but it's not just out there. You right now, in this moment, each of you, you are surrounded by the goodness of God, and worship is about us actually seeing that and beholding it. Sometimes you, you, because you see the goodness of God, you have a reason to sing. And that's, what you, that's the proper response, right? We see God's goodness, his mercy around us, and we say, I have, to, I have to bring my song. I have to do something about it. But there are other times when you don't see it, what you have to do is you have to sing about it. And when you sing about it, then suddenly you start seeing it again. And this is what happens in worship is you see it and then you sing, and then other times you sing and then you see it. And that's the invitation God has for some of you today. You, you need to step in obedience and say, I wanna see it, God, and I wanna see more of it. He is so good, and he has good plans for you. And I know that sometimes there's a little bit of time between the plan being given and then the plan being fulfilled. And so I want you to hear, if you, if you feel that tension of like, man, what, I, I sense God is doing something in me. I sense it leading somewhere, but I don't see that promise yet fulfilled in my life. It's in those moments that you have to hold on to what you see in your Father's heart. When God sets a plan, when he sets something in your heart, he's not, he's not gonna raise racehorses to never race them. Like God is going to bring it to fruition. That's why he puts it inside of you. And so today, here's what I want to happen. Clearly, this is what God wanted sung, what God wanted said today. I want to read over uh, Psalm 23 over you from the message translation. But I want you to not just hear it with your ears. I want you to receive it. Like as, as best as you can, would you just open your heart? Maybe even close your eyes, open your hands as I, as I read the scriptures over you and receive this word from God when the psalmist writes, God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through death valley, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head, my cup brims with blessing. Here it is. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Church, can we say amen to that and give praise to God? He's so kind to us. But here's the thing, when you receive something, you feel like you receive the goodness of God, you now get to carry the goodness of God. 
It's not just meant to only be here. We get to go on mission for God and, and partner with him. And that's why we're going to turn our attention to the giving of our tithes and offerings because we're not just going to, we don't just want the goodness of God here, though we want it. We want it across our city. We want it across this world. And we are going to partner with God and we're going to partner with each other through the giving of our offerings. You know, just this past week, I had the privilege of, privilege of going to preach at uh, Iglesia Nueva Vida, our, our congregation that speaks Spanish. I grew up in Mexico. I'm a missionary kid. And so I got to go over there last Sunday and preached to them. And getting to preach to them was such an amazing experience. But even more than that was getting to see all the ministry happening around the service. I mean, I can tell you, because I've now seen it with my own eyes, that building has become a beacon of hope in Colorado Springs. It is amazing to see what God is doing. After the first service, I had a woman come up to me and she was like, well, I don't really speak Spanish and, and uh, I, I want to introduce you to this woman who doesn't speak English. And so she, you know, I don't even know how they figured it out, but she brought her to church and she said, she, you know, there, she had some needs that day and she was like, I just wanted her to meet someone. And right away, it, I got to see the team there at Nueva Vida. They just surrounded her and they asked her her name. They got her information. They followed up last week. Like, it is amazing what is happening down there. And what I'm, I'm sharing that for you to see, what we're doing is making a difference. We get to partner in gospel ministry at beyond the boundaries of language is what's happening. And so that's what's on my mind as we give today. We're not just giving to something theoretical. We are giving to names and to people and to stories. That is what we're giving towards. So let's pray together as we give. Father, thank you that we were once not a people. We had all these walls between us, but because you have made us a people, the power and the division that is in those walls is obliterated. So Father, let us be your kingdom more and more. Let us see your kingdom more here on earth as it is in heaven, when we can see your work breaking through barriers. And so Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you would take what we give, that you would multiply it, and that you would set a course for your kingdom to break into Colorado Springs. God, we say this is the city you have placed us in. You didn't put us somewhere else, you put us right here. And so we accept that this is the mission you've given us. We say, may it be 10, 15 years from now, there would be a difference here in our city because of the good news of Jesus reaching those who are far from you, God. We say, do it, Lord, and let us be a part of it in whatever way you want us to be a part of it. We are ready, we are willing. Have your way, God, here on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And the church said, amen. Come on, let's give praise to the Lord here in this place as we sing to him. Let's declare it. I am blessed. I am caught. I am healed. I am whole. I am saved in Jesus' name. I
Come on, church. Let's celebrate. Give him praise. Come on. We've been wanting to sing that over some friends who are dealing with some sickness. There's even a friend of ours in the Midwest just now watching this service, kind of waiting on what could be a scary prognosis. And we say, you are blessed and you are healed. And you are whole in Jesus' name, right? And if you're in this room dealing with that, with fear or sickness, would you declare the word of the Lord over your life? You are blessed, you are whole, you are healed, you are favored. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Can we say amen? Amen. So good to be in church today together. Friends, would you greet one another? And before we move forward, Pastor Daniel Groth, he's going to open the word to us today. But greet one another first, grace and peace. Good morning, New Life North. My name is Josh. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. And my name is Callie. If it's your first time joining us today, or if you're looking for more information about ministries here at New Life, you can click the link below or scan the QR code. If you're joining us on Facebook or on YouTube, go ahead and give us a shout out of where you're joining us from. We'd love to say hello. So let's grab our Bibles, grab our notebooks, and let's plug in for this message. Good morning, New Life Church. I hope you're preparing for a great Thanksgiving week. I want to remind you that on Sunday, December the 3rd, we are going to pay off the debt here at New Life North with a special legacy offering. I know you've been praying about it, you've been thinking about it, and I just want to say thank you for being a generous people. Thank you for carrying the weight of ministry with me. And on Sunday, December the 3rd, in both the 9 and the 11 o'clock service, we will receive a legacy offering that I believe will finally once and for all, pay off the debt here at New Life North. So please pray about that. Please prepare your heart for that. And I'll see you on Sunday, December the 3rd. Good morning, New Life. Hey, you know what I cannot wait to do? I cannot wait after the December 3rd offering. I, I really just think it's done. We're going to get this junk done. I can't wait to print off the mortgage, old school mortgage statement, you know, piece of paper, and pa give Pastor Brady a lighter and just set that thing on fire right here on stage. The, the, assist, the, the alarm system will go off and all that, and, and first responders will come. We'll have Shipley's Donuts for them. It'll be worth it, okay? But we just, after, after all these years and after 26 million in debt, we're gonna retire that thing and we're gonna celebrate really good. Can you say amen, church? Hey, one other fun story. Just last weekend, Myra Claire Newman, who's sitting over here, she's 17 years old. She's a junior in high school at Palmer Ridge. She's like almost six feet tall, a great athlete. Myra Claire and her team won the 4A state championship in volleyball. Can we give it up for Myra Claire Newman? Come on, church, state champion in the house. I have known Myra and all of her siblings since the day they were born. And anytime we get a chance as a church to celebrate what God is doing among us, we're going to do that. So well done, Myra Claire. Let the scholarship offers come in. And all of her parents said amen, right? Both of her parents said amen. <laughs> Pay for that school in Jesus' name. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings 21. I'm going to uh, give kind of a final sermon in this 1 Kings series 
And so what I'll do is I'll read this story. It's a great narrative. I'll read it to you at 16 verses. I'll pray and then we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord this morning out of 1 Kings chapter 21. It says, some time later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, 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 flag that name, Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, 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 King Ahab, Naboth, Ahab. These are our two main characters. And there was an incident, he, uh, Naboth had a vineyard and King Ahab in Samaria wanted it, it was near his palace. So Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden because this is the king, it's close to my palace. I don't wanna go to King Supers, I wanna walk out in my backyard and have my attendants bring me vegetables out of your lush garden that I want to be mine. He, he wants his stuff. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard. There's a better vineyard out there. Or if you prefer, I'll just give you a cash offering. We'll make it happen. Let's do the deal. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. And he was just a, a horrible dude on that Monday afternoon. King Ahab lay on his bed sulking and he refused to eat. <laughs> his wife Jezebel said, you, what is going on with you? She asked him, why are you so sullen and why won't you eat? And he answered her, because I said to Naboth, the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard or if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in its place. But he said to you, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up and I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. I'll get you the vineyard. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and placed the king's seal on those letters and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. And in those letters, she wrote, proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people and but seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king and then take him out and stone him to death. This is a great Monday. I mean, Jezebel and Ahab are just horrible people and they're supposed to be the leaders of the people of God and they're scheming. So the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel directed in the letters she had written to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people saying, Naboth has cursed both God and the king. So they took him outside the city and they stoned him to death. And then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive, but dead. And when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. And this is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, wow, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we're here again. And we need you again. 
It's Sunday, we could be doing anything, but we think this is the most important thing that we could be doing. Coming into your presence to worship, coming in your presence to be with your people, coming in your presence to give and to sacrifice, coming into your presence to hear your word. And so we give you permission to speak to us. We give you permission to rearrange our lives. We give you permission to make us your holy people. Let your word race through this place and let your word race through our hearts. We pray these things today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. God had given his people a good land. It was the promised land and they had been waiting for a long time. For 400 and some 30 or 40 years, they were living in Egypt as slaves. They were under the whip of Pharaoh and more bricks and less straw and they were dominated, they were subjugated, their lives were made low by Pharaoh. But then God raises up Moses and Moses raises up the people and leads them out. And you know the story, they get to the edge of the Red Sea and they find that they're stuck and God splits the Red Sea and they walk through. But then there's 40 years because they complained and, and, and they, they moaned and groaned against God and weren't we better off in Egypt? And so they, God has got to get that out of their system. And so for 40 years, there's this kind of holy purgation among the people of God. But finally, they're ready and they come to the edge of the Jordan River and the Jordan River parts as they put their feet in and they walk across into the promised land. And it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a beautiful land. It, it, the vegetation and just explosive fruitfulness and blessing and the people were getting settled. And this, this guy, uh, Naboth, who has the vineyard, has inherited the vineyard from his ancestors who helped settle the promised land. God had given them this beautiful land and they worked it and they took care of it and they provided. And now generations later, great, 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 great grandparents gave land to Naboth. And I want to show you the land that he lived in. The Hebrew word for Jezreel is the word for God will sow. It's the translation means God will sow. This is what Jezreel means. It's, it's a beautiful land. And I'll just say, sign me up for any kind of land that God will sow. Like, that's my inheritance. I'll take that all day and twice on Sunday. Like, God has sown this land and it's fertile. And I'll show you a picture of a more recent Jezreel Valley. There's water, there's rotating crops, there's life and abundance, there's blessing and there's peace, and there's a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, Naboth has been working this land and because of its strategic location, because of the ample water supply, because of the excellent grazing in the Jezreel Valley, archaeologists believe that Jezreel was the base for King Ahab's chariot corps and his cavalry. Ahab sees this land and he moves the capital down there and he starts building his palace, he starts building where his cabinet, the political leaders would live and serve. He brings his army down there because this land is working. Ahab is starting to expand the kingdom and he's starting to expand his own palace. And what happens when a king starts really feeling himself is he wants to keep going and, he, and there's no stop. And, and I just want to keep dominating new territories and taking new ground. The problem with a king that wants to keep going is that all the little people get in the way. Like Naboth 
and his little vineyard. It says that the vineyard was right next to the palace and and the king wanted to put his vegetable garden there. And, And I'll just ask you, have you ever seen something that you wanted really badly? Ahab, the king, sees a piece of property that he wants really badly because I could use that. I could make my life more convenient. I wouldn't have to travel to get my vegetables. I could have my attendants right out the back door doing their work, and this guy's getting in my way. So Naboth, have you ever seen that you wanted something really badly, like a good hairline like John Egan? You know? <laughs> Anyone ever seen any, something, anything they wanted just really badly? You know? Come on. You ever seen something, someone, someone got that new car and you're just, uh, my little boy, Wakely, he loves Ford Raptors. And, and every time we pass a Ford Raptor, he's 11, he starts screaming in the car. Have you ever seen something that you wanted? You know, someone got that promotion that you wanted or someone moved into that house that you would love to have. This text wants us to ask the question about our desires, about our appetites. This text shows us the danger of having a voracious appetite and an insatiable desire to have more. Now, let me say this. This text is not an anti-entrepreneurial text that says God wants us to be small and play small and mail it in and be safe. No. If you're going after it, if God has given you that gift, if God has given you that desire, you need to steward that desire and you need to be aggressive. And I pray that in your businesses, you'd be able to hire more people and bless more people and sign the front of more checks so that God's people can flourish. This text is not an anti-entrepreneurial text that is telling the people of God to play small, but it is a text that is asking us how much is enough. How much is enough? This text shows us the danger of a voracious appetite and an insatiable desire to have more. This text also details the curse of unchecked acquisitiveness. Acquire, 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 acquire. I've got to have another. I've got to get another property. I've got to do another deal. I've got to. Have you ever finished a deal? Have you ever had a great success? And before you can move on and just celebrate, like you're already thinking about the next one. I watched a, a documentary recently and it had one of the most successful college football coaches on there. And it was detailing their rise to the championship. They'd won a couple championships. And he said before he was walking off the field, the the fireworks are still going, the confetti's still falling. He said he started thinking about having to do it again next year. He started, he, he got in the locker room, started calling recruits for next year. Like, have you ever just not been able to celebrate the goodness of God because you're on to the next one? I'll say living at that kind of pace will kill us. Living at that kind of pace will make us miserable. Living at that kind of pace will make all the people around us miserable. This text is not anti-entrepreneurial. It's not God asking us to play small, but it is God giving us permission to say, you know what? This land that you have given me is more than enough and it's beautiful and it's working. And I'm just going to say, God, you've been so good. God, you've been so good to me. And this is okay. This text is inviting us to ask the question, how much is enough? We've got King Ahab and he's building the kingdom and his life is working, but he's not satisfied. And he wants to have the one thing that is bringing joy 
to Naboth and Naboth says, some things can't be sold. If I sold you my land, like you're trying to say that money would be okay as a replacement, but if I sold you my land, I would be selling you my inheritance. I would be selling you the story of my ancestors. I would be desecrating their hard work for generations. Some things, King Ahab, are not for sale. Do you see that the most valuable things in our lives can't be appraised? The most valuable things in our lives can't, can't be sold with a great business valuation formula. And the young, small Naboth understands this, but the large King Ahab doesn't. But if you've been paying attention, and if you're a student of Scripture, you'll see that this isn't the first time we've been warned about unchecked acquisitiveness. This is not the first time we've been warned about voracious appetites and always wanting more. If you're a Hebrew reader, if you're listening to this text in the Old Testament, you're having these resonances of an old story firing off in your mind, and you'll remember old King David. We've got two kings here who just can't seem to get enough. And we've got Naboth with his small little subsistence farm, the vineyard that's working, and he's happy. He's blessed. He's thanking God for the land, the little small tract of land that's flowing with milk and honey, but Ahab can't get enough. And then you think back to King David, who in all of his abundance couldn't seem to get enough. And it says in 2 Samuel 11, in the spring, at the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. So if you could stop there. In the time when the kings went off to war, this text is telling us that there was a yearly cycle that a king would have to live in. The king, leading up to the, the, the time for war, would spend months training, would spend months getting the chariots ready, would spend months getting the swords and the shields and the battlements ready, would spend months collecting enough food for the army to go out to war because when you leave home and go fight, you've got to have provisions with you. In the times when the kings went out to war means that there was months of planning leading up to that and every year, every king would go out and do their bidding so that their people could experience peace and shalom and prosperity at home. And David lived in the yearly cycle of tightening his belt and getting in shape and getting ready to go out and do battle. But this year, on this day, David decides to mail it in. David decides to cut a corner. David decides he's going to be lazy. David decides, you know what? I've done enough of my fighting. I've, I've worked hard and I deserve a time of peace. So David gets his army ready, sends them out, and he stays home in his palace in his bathrobe. He stays home and mails it in. He gets sloppy in the spring when they went out to war. David sent them off. Verse two, they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. And one evening, David got up while all of his men were out fighting. He got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof of the palace, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, she's the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite, which is the messenger saying, she's taken, stay away. 
God has been good to her. God's given her a husband. That husband is off fighting the war for you while you're here being lazy. She's taken, stay away. But then David sent messengers to get her and she came to him and he slept with her. Now, any Old Testament scholar worth his or her salt will tell you that this was not a consensual affair. This was David in a patriarchal society flexing his power to steal a woman away and rape her. We don't read the Bible, you know, with all of this imagination all the time. And we kind of just go, oh yeah, of course, Bathsheba, she was honored. No, he raped her. And so what I want you to see is that there's this theme of not having enough. I have to have more. I have to have more. I have to have more. The story opens with Ahab, the king, seeing the small farm of the happy vineyard dresser, Naboth, and saying, I have to have more. And then we read, we we reflect back earlier in the story. David is the king who's got everything he could ever imagine, but David has to have more. And so he takes Uriah, the Hittite's wife, Bathsheba, and he kills Uriah. Do you see, do you see the story here? There is an unchecked acquisitiveness that will destroy our lives and destroy the lives of all those around us. But as you keep reading Earlier in the story, God got the people ready for this. And this is what I want you to see, that Deuteronomy chapter five, God speaks to Moses and he gives them the 10 commandments. And he says, Moses, teach the people what's important. Teach the people my word. Teach the people my statutes. And the very last of the 10 commandments is very instructive for us. What does God send them out reminding them about? He says, neither shall you covet. Everyone say covet. Neither shall you covet your neighbor's wife or husband. Neither shall you covet your neighbor's house. Neither shall you covet your neighbor's field. Stay away from Naboth's vineyard, Ahab. Neither shall you covet their male or female slave or their ox or their donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. God was telling his people, beware of an unchecked acquisitiveness. Now, covet, what does this word mean? Seems like an old school word. Well, covet to me means to long or to yearn or to wish for earnestly or to desire what belongs to another person inordinately. And God is saying to them in the final of the Ten Commandments, you have to be so careful because I'm going to lead you into the promised land and I'm going to settle you and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing. I'm going to be good to you, but something's going to happen deep in your spirit. And the enemy is going to try to lie to you and tell you that what you have is not enough and what they have would make you happier. Thou shalt not covet. We've got Ahab stealing Naboth's vineyard. We've got David stealing Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And God says in the last of the 10 commandments, don't covet because if you covet, You're not going to even be able to receive the gift in front of you. And this is what I need us to see. God could have blessed us. God could have given us everything we need. God could have taken care of us right here. But when your head is turned over there, you can't even see the good gift right in front of you. When you long for what they have, you can't even appreciate what you have. When you ache for some kind of imaginary situation in which you'd be happy, you can't be happy with the gift God has given you. Naboth is happy with his small vineyard. Ahab is not happy with a kingdom. 
Because covetousness eats you from the inside out and it, it keeps you from being able to receive the gift right in front of you. Friends, today, this text is inviting us to start to settle into the blessing of the life that God has given us. I'll tell you this way. The devil's whole goal is to make you unhappy with the actual gift God has given you. It's getting quiet in this Baptist church. (laughs) The devil's whole goal is to make us unhappy with the actual lives God has given us because he turns our head towards some other story over here that we think would make us happier. I'll say it this way. The task is not to get the life that you want, but to love the life that you have. The task is not to get the life that you want, but to love the life that you have. Thou shalt not covet. Look at what God has given you. The psalmist said in Psalm 16, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for my life. Thank you, Lord, for my story. Thank you for my parents. Thank you for my bride. Thank you for our children. Thank you for my job. When you can just celebrate the life that you have, you know one of the happiest memories that I have is 18 and a half years ago, moving into a small one-bedroom apartment with my wife of 12 days. We didn't have anything. Lisa had one car. I didn't. She was my sugar mama. She took care of me, right? And praise God for her. I was, she's, you know, two school years ahead, and she was out working while I was finishing college, teaching kids, and she'd saved money, and she was living with her parents, and she was frugal, and I had nothing when we got married. God bless her parents for letting me marry her. But we moved to Colorado Springs. We had our one little one bedroom apartment off of uh, Briargate Road over here. And we were the happiest people on the planet. We didn't have much, but you know what? We really loved what was in front of us. And the devil wants us to look out. Do you know the whole task of the devil from Genesis 3 is to distract us from the garden God has given us? Hey, Adam and Eve, God's holding out on you. You know, this tree that he told you to stay away from? Yeah, God's scared. God is afraid that if you actually partake of that, you'll become like him. God is trying to circle the wagons and protect. God is fragile. God is threatened by your agency and your greatness. So Adam and Eve, why don't you take the story into your own hands? And I'll just say to you, you will never fill your stomach trying to eat the forbidden fruit. Adam and Eve had everything. There was one tree that they were told to stay away from. They couldn't see the gift. They just saw what they couldn't have. And when we take partake of what we can't have, what God has disallowed from us, when we try to take the story into our own hands, it brings chaos and death and destruction, not just to us, but to all the people around us. So the task is not to try to get the life that you want. It's to try to fall in love with the life that you've actually been given. A few stories. I talked to a guy who in 2000, the year 2000, 23 years ago, started knocking it down. Money was coming in hand over fist. He, he, he came from poverty. He didn't know what money was like. And finally, here it is. And he can't, he's just 
swimming in it. And he was spending it as fast as he could make it. And he was having so much fun. And he got the new boat and he got the new house and he got a couple of really swanky cars. And, he, and, and everyone was coming over to his house and it was a great time. And he was happy to foot the bill. And then 2008 happened. And then 2009, he went to the courts and filed for bankruptcy. Just eight, nine years before, he didn't even know what to do with all this stuff. Now he's in the courtroom and the judge strikes the gavel and he said it was disorienting and it was frankly embarrassing. And here he is 15 years later and someone who's got the skills to build it can can build it again and he's done that and he's okay. But you know what? This guy has been chastened by that process. He's been made holy by that process. He's been made wise by that process. He's been made frugal by that process. And when it's good, he socks it away so that when it's lean, he has something to, to draw on. And he tells me the greatest thing that ever happened in my life was the judge striking the gavel on my bankruptcy hearing because God got my attention. The task is not to get the life that you want. It's to actually fall in love with the life that you have. And, and just to be simple and to be thankful and to praise God for his goodness. I, I have a friend in the church who's 70. And 50 years ago, almost 50 years ago exactly, they found out they were pregnant with their first child. And he was over the moon elated. Maybe some of you remember that day. If, if you've had children, I remember that day seeing the pregnancy test and going, yes. Are you serious? And they had that day and the, the technology 50 years ago wasn't what it is today. And about 30 weeks into the pregnancy, the doctor started sensing that something's not right. This baby, there's, there's difficulty here. And is this baby going to make it? And finally, 10 weeks later, this baby was delivered full term. And right away, they could tell that this baby was going to have highly specialized needs for all of her life. And on day one, within one hour, these parents were made to know that this child would live with them for the rest of her life. And my friend tells me, with 50 years of reflection, he said, I'll tell you, those first hours were just gut-wrenching. Because you have all these dreams of what it's going to be like. And then in an hour, we discover our lives have been turned upside down. That child is about to turn 50 years old. And that child walks into every room with innocence and purity and joy. You know, that child does not have one enemy on planet Earth. That child is happy. That child is playful. That child is childlike at almost 50 years old. And my friend tells me, he says, in those early years, I would pray, God, heal her. And God, I just wonder. And God, and, and, and God, I, and he says, I wouldn't change my daughter for anything. He said, because she has instant access to heaven. She looks Jesus square in the face. She doesn't have a shred of bitterness. Not one day of her life has she been bitter. Has she been evil? Has she been dark? And he says, I wouldn't change this process for anything. The task is not to get the life that you want. The task is to fall in love with the life that you actually have. Friends, I'm telling you. One more story. My friend Dave was here in the first service, right there on the aisle in his wheelchair. And Dave is 56 years old. He's just a, an excellent man. One of my dearest friends. I, I've known him almost 20 years. And Dave, when he was 
in his teenage years, he was running the streets by himself. He was kind of left to raise himself. And in the streets, he discovered drugs and alcohol and violence and jockeying. And he he always had to fight just to keep himself alive. And so that got into his bloodstream and and into his psyche, 14, 15, 16. He gets put in the Dale House and rescued really here in Colorado Springs 40 years ago, 44 years ago. And then he gets out at 20 and at 20 years old, he's he's still kind of living a rugged life out in the streets and gets into an argument one day with a 17-year-old out in the streets. And the 17-year-old takes a pistol out and shoots my friend Dave right in the throat. Drops him in a pool of his own blood and he's bleeding out. He's gonna die. Right here. And the first responders come and somehow save his life and they take him in and they rush him into emergency surgery and, and he wakes up and they say, Dave, we are so sorry. You're gonna be paralyzed for the rest of your life. We're gonna fit you for your wheelchair. We're gonna help you get home and fit your house so that you can be on one level and get around and learn how to. And Dave, for a couple years, as any of us could imagine, was just stunned shell-shocked. He didn't bounce right back. He, he lived with the pain and the fear and the, the trauma of all of that. But Dave stuck with Jesus. And in those years, Jesus really got Dave's attention. And Dave said to me, the first time I, I took the courage to ask him, it was about 10 years ago, and I'd known him for eight years at the time. I said, Dave, could you tell me about that day? And he said, I would be honored to tell you about that day. He said, I was running hard and I was running fast and I was either going to jail or I was gonna get killed in the streets. I knew my life was destroyed and all my friends were dying or going to jail. And he said, that day when I got shot, I thought I was dead right when it happened. He said, but I woke up from surgery and I discovered that God had something for my future. And he said, the day that I got shot in the throat was the best day of my life. And I said, Dave, how can you say that? And he said, it took me a while, but I can honestly say to the depths of my being, the day I got shot in the throat was the best day of my life. Why? Because Jesus got my attention. He woke me up. He saved me. He delivered me. He humbled me. He made me his. I didn't have anywhere I could go. All I could do was look God in the face and he got my attention. And Dave was 56 years old this morning, sitting in that wheelchair, worshiping Jesus with his unbelievable wife next to him. He's got children and grandchildren. He's got a thriving business and he's one of the most faithful intercessors I know. And Dave says that the worst day of his life became the best day of his life. Friends, I'm here to tell you that it's not about chasing the life that you want. It's about loving the life that God has given you. And I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not saying it will happen quickly. It's not easy. It's difficult. If you've been betrayed, that costs you a lot. If you've lost a loved one, that costs you a lot. If you've, if you've lost a business and gone to the bankruptcy courtroom, that's cost you a lot. If you've gone through a health crisis and you live in unbelievable pain, I'm not saying it's easy and it does cost you a lot, but I'm saying if you will let Jesus stack the decades on your story, you will look up and you will say, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And I love the life that God has given me. And it's taken me a while, but I'm not looking over there at that story. And I'm not looking over there at that story. I say, look what the Lord has done. Surely God has been good to me. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, to me. Friends, I'm here to say that covetousness will kill us. 
learning to be thankful for the life God has given us, everything becomes more than enough in that kind of scenario. Would you stand with me today, church? Pastor Brady has been doing something for the last few months that I think has, with no exaggeration, changed our church and changed our services as we gather. He's taking this moment, and I'm gonna take it as well, to just pray into what we've heard. So would you quiet your hearts and close your eyes and open your hands and would you invite the Holy Spirit? Could you say, come Holy Spirit? Would you invite the Lord to speak to you right now, to minister to you right now, to touch you right now? First, I wanna pray for those of you who have been through unspeakable pain. You've suffered incredible loss. For those of you who would say, this is not what I expected with my life. This is not what I had planned. And I do not ask you to race past that. I would never minimize the pain of that loss. The marriage that you thought would be forever, it ended, God have mercy. The child that you thought was gonna follow Jesus all the days of his or her life has traveled out into the far country of prodigality. I, I would never ask you to race past that. And in fact, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna say, Holy Spirit, would you come and pour the oil of your spirit on my friends? Would you heal and bind up every wound? Would you guard their hearts? Would you comfort them? Would you speak your peace to them today? Jesus, you know what your people need. Help us, we pray, God. Help us, we pray. Some of you, your career didn't play out the way you'd hoped and the way you had planned and the way you had prayed. God, would you hear that cry? And Lord, I pray that with some years of being able to look back on it, they'd be able to say with my friend Dave, somehow, some way, God met me in that. God addressed me in that. God provided for me in that. God shepherded me through the valley of the shadow of death. And somehow I'm sitting beside green, green pastures and quiet waters. He's restored my soul. And Lord, I do ask restoration of our souls, restoration of our hearts, restoration of our minds. I pray for sweet sleep. I sense right now prophetically that some of you have lost sleep. The enemy has tried to trouble you and steal your sleep, which is making everything worse. And I pray tonight that you'd sleep beautifully. The psalmist said in Psalm four, I will lie down in peace and sleep for you alone. O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. And so Lord, I pray that your children would rest at night. And Lord, I pray somehow, some way that a spirit of gratitude would rise, that you would make us the most thankful people on planet Earth, that we'd pray, yeah, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And Lord, I pray that you would guard our eyes and guard our spirits from covetousness. Help us to look at the land you have given us and to love it well. I pray these things over my friends today in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. I wanna invite our communion servers to come forward. 
If you're new with us, what we do every week is come through the communion line, receive the elements, go back to our seats as we worship. So you can hold them there. And if you're not able to physically come through, just ask your neighbor, they'll bring you an extra. They'd be happy to do that. But let's worship Jesus. And in just a few minutes, I'll come back and we'll receive together. Come and worship the Lord. And all my days I've been held in you. 